sing songs, uh, consider Jesus, what he's done in our life, and to celebrate Advent together. Hey, um, I wanted to make a uh, quick announcement this morning. Uh, I wanted to introduce you guys to Jared and Laura King. Jared and Laura, will you guys wave at us? Jared and Laura are good friends of ours, and they're church planners over in Seattle. They were able to come and join us this weekend and uh, and be with us. Uh, they're beginning a new church there, and their son is really excited for everyone wave. Cyrus. So, um, so Jared and Laura, we just wanted uh, uh, just we come here to talk about peace. When the storms of life rage, where do we find our peace? Today we celebrate Advent, and uh, it, it reminds us it's a season in which we enter into thousands of years of church history. We celebrate this morning with thousands of others the idea that Jesus has come and Jesus is coming again. And in that message is hope uh, in circumstances like the one we just prayed for. Um, uh, we know that Kelsey is uh, <laughs> embraced in her father's loving arms. Uh, we, we, we know that hope. Uh, but today we pray for peace for their family. You know, each of us probably comes here today with a different set of challenges and a, and a different number of things in our lives that create unrest, that create fear, that create uh, challenges in our lives. And so peace is a poignant message, I think, in each of our lives. Let's talk about this word peace for a minute. Now, in English, uh, peace conjures up uh, often in our minds the idea of a, a passive posture, um, it speaks maybe to an absence of uh, civil disturbance or hostilities. Uh, peace speaks to a freedom from internal or external strife, right? These are some of the things that might come to our mind when we think of the word peace. But the biblical concept of peace um, it, uh, goes much deeper. It's much larger. Um, peace biblically speaks of a completeness, to be sound or to be whole or to live well. Uh, it's not just the lack of disturbance. It's not just the, the lack of problems in life, but it speaks to wholeness. It speaks to living well. And so today as we explore this biblical concept of peace, we're going to go two places primarily. We're going to listen to a story from Mark 4, uh, a story of Jesus bringing about peace and calm and silence in the midst of a storm. And we're going to look at Philippians 4, uh, where Paul kind of prescribes an idea of a peace that comes from God, that is larger than ourselves, something unattainable on our own. We're going to look at these two passages that for some of us are quite familiar if these are new to you, I invite you uh, just to enter into the story, uh, to enter into this reading of Scripture as we consider what does peace look like in our lives. But to those of us that have heard these stories before, have you ever noticed how easy it is uh, for them to be kind of just relegated to uh, like a, a fairy tale, a fantasy status in our minds? And today I want to invite you, if you've heard these stories before, uh, to enter into them anew to rest in them, to listen to them, to seek newness in them. Just last night, we had we had the king staying with us, and um, we'd had a long night the night before, and so last night was a movie night, right? Those chill nights where you just, right, everyone gets to rest. 
So we were trying to pick a movie, and we made the bad decision of uh, allowing the kids to pick the movie. But when you have six kids in the room wanting to pick a movie, well, um, the, one of my daughters, uh, on every movie we said, said, no, not that one, no, not that one. And the problem arose that she'd seen them all, right? She knew all these movies, and she finally she said, I just don't like any of our movies. Isn't it interesting how familiarity can take something from the realm of it's a great movie. This is really fun to watch. And she had a blast watching the movie. What do we watch? The Incredibles? Big Hero 6. See, it's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, it's for all ages. Great movie. Okay, so, and she had fun watching it, but, um, but the familiarity took it from this realm of this is fun and this is good to I don't want that anymore. But I want to say that today as we consider the subject of peace, and consider passages that we're quite familiar with. Let's take it out that out of that realm of it's too familiar to mean anything to me. And let's place it in that realm of God is speaking something beautiful to us through his word this morning. God has powerful promises for our lives. So Mark chapter 4 is uh, is where we'll dig in, where we'll begin. Now, Mark chapter 4, uh, Jesus is about to head out in a boat uh, with his uh, apostles. Uh, but the backstory is important in this. Uh, Jesus and his apostles have been teaching and healing and ministering to people for days and days now. Thousands of people have shown up to, to see Jesus. Now, in, in our world, Thousands of people is quite ordinary. If you've ever been to a Seahawks game or a hockey game here in town, you know, if you've ever gone to a concert, thousands of people is quite ordinary. But in the first century, this was a totally different situation, right? Without automobiles and when people lived in much smaller villages rather than grouped in these massive cities that we live in now, the massive metropolis of the Tri-Cities, right? No, that's kind of sarcastic. Uh, but, right, people didn't live in these large communities. And so for thousands, four or 5,000 people together in this place, people loaded up whatever supplies they could carry and they took their children and they said, we're going to walk for four days. We're going to sleep on the side of the road, but we have to go and see this man, Jesus, hear from this man, Jesus. Can you imagine the magnitude of what's happening in Israel, that people would travel miles and miles, days and days just together and to see him? And the crowd was so frenzied, so excited to be near Jesus that, that the scene had, had gotten um, like oppressive. Jesus had to step into a boat and just row out just a little bit offshore so that he wasn't just overwhelmed by the crowds of people massing about him, desperate to touch his cloak or to hear his words or to see his face. Thousands of people gathered. And for days, Jesus and his apostles have been dealing with this. So at the end of the day, it's going to say in verse 35, um, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Now, a very simple statement that we'd read right past, but Jesus, after three or four days of ministering to people, absolutely exhausted, he, he makes a simple request of his apostles. He said, hey, will you row me 12 miles across the sea? This is at the end of all of that. People are shot. They are done. And Jesus says, just row me 12 miles across the sea here, okay? Um, and, uh, and so they head out. Verse 36, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, Jesus as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them. 
a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? So here's the scene. They found themselves out at sea, exhausted. It's nighttime. I would guess it's dark at this point, and a huge storm comes up. Have you ever been in, in a huge storm? Have you ever been in a boat in a huge storm? Yeah, yeah, some of us have. It's a terrifying, I, I don't know, m- many of us might not know a lot about boating, but ideally the water is on the outside of the boat, and it's dry inside the boat, and when these storms come, it's a terrifying thing. Uh, a few years ago, our family was on vacation at Lake Chelan, and I didn't know this about Lake Chelan, but it turns out uh, that in some seasons of the year, a wind comes up and huge waves and storms come. When we were there on our family vacation, each afternoon, I think it was about one in the afternoon, a storm would come up. Well, we had rented jet skis and, uh, and, and had them for a couple days. We were having a blast. Our kids were having a blast out on the water. And uh, each day when the storm came up, my brother Matt and I, Jacob, and, and a few of us, well, we'd get out on the jet skis in these massive waves. I mean, three-foot-high waves with the cavity, you know, some, as high as six-foot high, and rode these jet skis. It was an absolute blast. These guys were not having a blast. I'm going to get there. So one afternoon, we were taking a break. Everyone was tired. The kids were napping, and I was reading, and I happened to, to walk outside to go up the stairs, and I saw that one of the jet skis in the middle of the storm had come loose uh, from where it was tied off. And it was floating directly towards a a, a massive uh, cabin cruiser boat. I don't know, was it worth fifty or a hundred thousand dollars? I mean, it was a beautiful boat that was lifted out of the water on, on one of those hydraulic lifts. And it was floating towards that, this rented jet ski about to totally wreck a totally stationary boat as it, as the jet ski jumps six foot up and down in these waves. And so I yelled in the house, you know, get out here, help me, the jet ski's loose. And I ran and I, I did think to grab a life jacket as I dove into the water and got to the second jet ski. And I took off for, for the first one, and thankfully, as I got close, uh, I mean, it's now 10 foot off of this boat um, and just rocking like crazy. Um, as I got there, I found that the rope had broken on the anchored side, so there was four foot of rope hanging off the back of the thing. And, uh, and I sped up next to the thing, and I grabbed it, and as I grabbed it, I realized I do not have the strength to hold on to this thing while also controlling a jet ski. And there's this moment of panic in the storm where you know it is out of my control, and I wrapped the rope around my hand, and just as I did, uh, and, and, and gave, you know, kept just enough gas to hold the thing still, I couldn't move forward a bit, Matt made it around on the shore and was able to jump off the pier onto the jet ski and we were able to get it out. That was my experience, one of my experiences in a storm, that moment of just overwhelmed terror uh, when you're like, I don't know how to get out of this situation. And I can only imagine what the disciples are feeling in this moment absolutely exhausted, rowing 12 miles across the sea and a furious storm has come up. The water is crashing over the sides of the boat. They don't know if they'll sink. Uh, they don't know if they'll make it out. 
Have you ever had one of those seasons in life where the terror comes in, where the fear, the anxiety begins to overwhelm? And your theology that says God is good and God is for me and God loves me, you know all that stuff, but your heart is desperately struggling to catch up with your theology. Because in your heart, you're asking God, where are you? Jesus, are you asleep on the job? What's going on right now in my life? We become desperate, thinking, I can't do this on my own, and I know that God is good, but I don't feel it in this moment in my life, and that is this moment for these apostles, because in fact, Jesus is asleep on the job in this moment. Well, they row him across the sea. He's sleeping on a cushion. And so they come to him and they ask him that that very question. Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Our lives are ending. So in verse 39, he got up, he rebuked the wind and the waves uh, and said to the waves, quiet or peace, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his apostles, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I want to take a moment this morning just to rest in this story. Like, take it out of the fairy tale realm and picture Jesus 2,000 years ago in a boat asleep on a cushion in the middle of a storm. Picture and, and, and take in just the panic and the fear of his apostles as they are convinced they are going to drown. Our boat is going to be swamped. And Jesus, who stands up in the boat, and with a few words, peace be still, calms the water. Picture as the waves begin to die down, and it takes a few moments for them to come down as the wind has stopped, and soon there's just a ripple across the water from a light breeze. Jesus turns to his apostles. And Jesus is not a good life coach. He's not a good, great counselor in this moment. He doesn't say, so Peter, tell me how you were feeling, right? He doesn't do any of that with them. He he rebukes them. He's like, where is your faith? Do you have no faith? And they become terrified. They were already terrified, but notice the terror doesn't end with the storm because they recognize in Jesus an immense power that they're just coming to understand, immense ability. You see, in this story, Jesus speaks peace into the chaos, the waves that crash. And this morning, as we reflect upon some of the waves crashing in our lives, the waves of uh, a problem, problems at work and, and, and struggle there, as we consider maybe the waves of a broken relationship or struggles with a spouse, as we reflect upon the waves of sickness, as we reflect upon the waves of life crashing in on some of our dearest friends here in the Tri-Cities with the loss of a loved one, as we consider these waves in life, I want to hear these words from Jesus. Peace, be still. Jesus speaks calm into the storms of life. He invites peace when chaos reigns around us. Let's turn to Philippians 4. Philippians 4 um, is an iconic passage on peace, and I want to read it to you. I want to identify a few important things in it. Because the reality of the moment is that we hear the story about Jesus speaking peace in a very physical and literal way into the lives of other people, but we say, our circumstances are so different. 
I don't, I don't get to sit in a boat with Jesus when I cry out. He doesn't speak back to me audibly, right? I don't get to see these things. And so uh, Paul's going to speak to what peace looks like in the context of ordinary life. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is, uh, bro- finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. All right. A peace that passes understanding. I want to talk about a couple things here out of Philippians chapter four. I want to talk about the character of peace. What does this peace look like that, that, um, that Jesus speaks into our lives? What does this peace look like that Paul is describing to us? This peace that comes from God. So what is the character of it? And secondly, I want to look at three disciplines that, uh, invite us into this peaceful experience and existence. So the character of peace. Um, in this passage, Paul speaks to an inner calm. It's a poise. It's an equilibrium, right? It's a balance that he speaks of this idea of peace. Now, we seek peace in many different ways in life. In our culture, we generally buy peace, right? So you buy it by watching a movie or going out to eat uh, the pills uh, that were prescribed. And I don't say that as a bad thing. Those might be very necessary. But the fact is, quite often culturally, we, we, we pay for peace, Right? We work busy lives to make all this money and then we in, in turn pay to find some more peace in life. But this speaks to a different peace. Paul t- speaks to a peace that comes from God, from our Father. It speaks not of the absence of fear. Because fear is a natural response to the things that are happening in life. But instead, Paul speaks to a peace, a sense of being protected. In fact, the word that he used in, um, in verse 7 here, he says, uh, um, a peace that transcends understanding will guard your hearts and minds. And this word guard that he uses, it's a military term. He says that this peace of God is so powerful that it will surround you with an army that you will be at peace, that you will find safety, that you will find solace in knowing that your God is fighting your battles for you. Now, in ancient times and today, um, we we speak of peace as expelling negative thoughts. And, And there's a place for meditation and there's a place for just settling in, right, and and putting out uh out of our minds the things that are concerning us. But this speaks a little bit differently about how peace is found. You see, Christian peace speaks towards the presence of God, not the absence of thought. It speaks towards an, towards an invitation to allow God to be our poise, to bring our poise, to, to create our equilibrium. It speaks to a peace in which God, the spirit who dwells in our hearts, brings about a peace even in the midst of a storm. So Paul speaks in here in Philippians 4 to a few different disciplines to develop 
peace in our lives. Uh, the three being uh, thinking, thanking, and loving. So let's look at how he speaks to these three different things. He speaks to thinking. He says, um, as an alternative to, to anxiety, in the pursuit of peace, he says, uh, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think about such things. That's, that's what Paul says to us. So he says, instead of the absence of thought, think about the good in life. And, and the first thing he lists, he says, think about what's true, noble, and right. Notice these are all cognitive things. What is true, what is noble, what is right. These are things that we can process. These are things that we can think about. He says, if you'll think about truth, if you think about nobility, if you'll think about things that are right in the world around you, you will begin to glimpse that peace. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to, uh, to, to speak to the idea of thanking God. That instead of being anxious, we're invited to present our request to God. And notice this last part, present your request to God with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, request your God. Notice it doesn't say, he, he doesn't say, ask God for something, and if you get it, thank God for it. Instead, he says, as you present your requests in the storms of life, as, as life rages around us, he says, as you give your requests to God, be thankful. And I think this is pivotal in the pursuit of peace, that we learn to thank God in the midst of the struggle. Remember, it, it, it begins to transform us as we, as we think of the positive things in life. Thank you, God, for a hope that is beyond the circumstances in my life. So we present our requests to God, but we do it thankfully, knowing that God is still for us. And, and finally, loving. The word's not used in the text, but notice the latter three things he has us think on. After true, noble, and right, he has us think on what is pure, what is lovely, what is admirable. These are not cognitive processes. He, he describes love. Think about goodness. Think about love in the world around you. And ultimately, what is good? What, or what is, what is, what is love, right? We can love a car. We can love our house. We can love our family. We can and we should. But ultimately, what is lovable? What is most lovable? And that is God Himself, right? So we, 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 uh, we think on truth, on goodness, on right, on righteousness. We thank God even in the midst of our storms. And finally, we love. We realize that God is love. We live in loving relationship with him, with people around us. And in that, we find peace. I don't know about you, but in stressful times in life, is there anything better from a hug than a hug from a best friend or a spouse? Is there anything better than just a peaceful presence, a hand on your shoulder, a kind word? Paul speaks to this. It's, it's love. It's what's pure. It's what's lovely. It's what's admirable. He says in, in hard times, pursue love. So this morning we come here, each of us, with our different storms of life that may be raging, and we seek peace. We lit a candle earlier as we celebrated Advent today, the candle of peace. As we remember that in Jesus, a new peace has been ushered into this world.
that in his second coming, his peace will be fully realized as we see him face to face. Today, we consider peace. And wherever you're at in your life, whether you're on you know, just a spiritual high and life is good and things are going well, or if you come feeling broken. Today, I want to close out our time with just a reading from Scripture, and it's six or so different passages that I'm just going to read uh, all, all pulled together into a collage of, of peace. And you're welcome to read along on, um, on the board up there, or you're welcome to close your eyes and just take in this message of peace. And I can't help but think about the Foss family right now and think that, that these are the passages that they and we need to hear in, in difficult seasons of life. So I invite you to rest, to still your mind, and to listen. Think about the things that God has to say to us on peace. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He continued, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And finally, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. So as we remember Advent today, as we remember the coming of Jesus, it is a season of hopeful anticipation of an assured coming of our Savior He has come into the world and he is coming again. Peace has come into this world. May we we rest in his peace. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day and this time. We thank you, Father, that you speak to us through your word. We thank you for a Savior in Jesus who speaks peace into this world, who speaks peace into our lives, who has left his peace with us. So, Father God, we are thankful. Jesus, we invite you to speak into the anxieties and the challenges of life. Father Jesus, speak peace to us. And Spirit, we invite you to work powerfully in us and amongst us that we can know the peace that comes only from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.